Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Mike Schreiner, who, as you may know, is the member of provincial parliament for Guelph and the leader of the Green Party of Ontario. In less than two weeks, we will enter the year 2022, and that is an election year here in Ontario. Sometime in the spring, Premier Doug Ford will ask the lieutenant governor to dissolve the legislature, which will initiate a provincial election. Ford and the progressive conservatives will aim to make a case that they should be re-elected for a second term. But the knives will almost certainly be out on all manners of government action from the COVID-19 response to the student choice initiative to fighting the carbon tax in court. But what about that one green MPP in the legislature? What kind of year will 2022 be for him? Christmas with Mike is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Three and a half years ago, Mike Schreiner made history, winning a remarkable 46% stake of the vote that would usher him into Queen's Park as the first sitting member of the Green Party in the Ontario legislature. The optimistic among us saw it as a sign of the Green Party's growing relevance in Canada's political picture. The cynical saw Guelph voters sending a caucus of one to the provincial parliament who was not going to be able to deliver for Guelph much of anything, or have an impact on important debates. Both of those criticisms, though, turned out to be wrong. Even if you casually watch the news, you've probably seen Schreiner on TV more than any other Guelph representative in Toronto, even when Schreiner's predecessor, Liz Sandals, was the education minister. In a way, 2022 is going to be even a tougher election for Schreiner. Many votes cast in 2018 were protest votes against the former Liberal government under Kathleen Wynne, and that party's been under some serious rebuilding efforts the last few years. The NDP will be looking to keep a resurgent Liberal Party down, while at the same time they will aim to make the breakthrough and seize government power for themselves, the first time the NDP would form a government in Ontario since 1995. The PCs, meanwhile, will be playing defense. Their majority has dwindled due in large part not to outside political forces, but to internal friction. Think about names like Amanda Samard, Jim Wilson, Roman Baber, Rick Nichols, Belinda Carajalios, and Rick Hillier. Still, Doug Ford himself has made repeated visits to Guelph this year, including two visits in the span of a one-week period. Ford himself said out loud that he thinks his party can win Guelph in 2022. So what does Mike Schreiner think about that? That is one of the things we will address on this holiday edition of the Guelph Politicast. Schreiner will talk about his term at the Ontario Legislature, whether it was everything he hoped it would be, and whether he thinks he silenced those doubters who thought one person couldn't make a difference at Queen's Park. He will also talk about how the pandemic changed things politically, and if his ethos to do politics differently has had an impact across party lines. And finally, we will also discuss the unique challenges of running for re-election, the weight of expectations to create a bigger footprint for the Greens in the legislature, and whether Schreiner has any regrets about his first three and a half years as Guelph's MPP. So I caught up with Mike Schreiner last week via Zoom. Mike Schreiner, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, it's a pleasure, Adam, as always. Uh we're sitting here and it's a little over six months till election day. We're almost done your first, well, that's being presumptuous, but we're almost done uh, this term, uh, your first term as Guelph's MPP. Was it everything you hoped it would be? 
Well, I, I don't think anybody imagined I'd spend two years essentially uh, trying, you know, being a part of a global pandemic and all the requirements and responses and, and you know, they, you know, use a word that's overused, pivoting that was required. I don't think anyone could have imagined that. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of the, the time I've spent at Queens Park, um, yeah, it's pretty much what, what I expected. And, uh, you know, the work I've done in the community, uh, primarily through my constituency office, has been deeply rewarding. And I always say that a lot of that work where you're really helping individuals, for the most part, oftentimes doesn't make it into the headlines, but in some respects on a personal level is some of the most rewarding work you can do because you can make a really profound difference in somebody's life. Uh, and that, and that, that really motivates me and, um, and it is a part of the job that I think until you're in the job, you don't fully appreciate. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes people are also just looking for someone to listen and that's sort of, uh, the one of the under advertised roles of any government official really is that you're just there to listen. Um, people come up to you on the streets, people call your office, uh, people come up to you at, at events. Well, maybe not so much lately, but you know, you're kind of always on in that respect. Oh yeah, for sure. My, my family really refuses to go to the farmer's <laughs> market or grocery shopping or some of those things with me. And we even have to be a bit careful about, which restaurants we choose to go to on which nights uh, for, for all of those reasons. But uh, you know what, I, I, I love the job and it's been an incredibly rewarding uh, experience. And, and so, you know, I guess we'll see how the next election goes, but uh, obviously I'm, I'm going to be running again for reelection and mm -hmm. you know, I hope I can continue to earn people's trust and earn their vote. And it'd be a real honor to be Guelph's voice at Queens park for another four years. I want to get to the next election in a second, but thinking about this term, and I've been thinking about this question a lot, and I kind of have to phrase it delicately because like the last two years have been enormously challenging and I mean, highly consequential too. And, you know, it's, it's a dangerous time. So I don't want to undermine the fact that, you know, 600,000 uh, people are, have died or a hundred thousand people in Ontario anyway have died. Uh, from COVID-19, but when you're in a leadership position, you, you, you're you doing it because you're seeking to like work on really challenging issues. And like that, when you just break down uh, to its basic level, COVID-19 has been like the most challenging issue anyone could ever work on. Like, is that something that despite the upset to, you know, normal life, is there a better time, so to speak, to be in working in government. Yeah, I know it's so first of all, I should say it's 10,000 people. I don't want right. sure yeah. <laughs> to, to, to uh, overcorrect this, but that, being right. said, you know, 10,000, you know, is, is just heartbreaking, frankly. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been challenging and rewarding at the same time on multiple levels. So in the early days of the pandemic, a lot of advocacy around, um, just ensuring, particularly that frontline healthcare workers, but frontline workers in general, had adequate ac access to things like just basic things like PPE, which we all sort of take for granted now that you know we have access to to masks and things like that. Uh, but but you know a lot of advocacy for 
you know, nurses, PSWs, uh, people working in congregate living settings, et cetera. Uh, people who were who were in workplaces, it was very hard for physical distancing. Uh, so a lot of advocacy along those lines uh, and, and some real successes in, in that regard. Uh, working on things like, you know, when some of the first restrictions were brought in and a lot of community groups came to me and said, you know, hey, can you advocate for opening community gardens? Because that's a vital source of food, especially for some of the most vulnerable in our community. And so I launched a campaign uh, to lead that effort and, and we're successful. And it was very rewarding in the fall to be working in some of our most vulnerable neighborhoods you know, helping harvest the food that we had advocated for, knowing that that was going to provide, you know, you know, a vital source of fresh, healthy food for people in our community. Uh, a lot of coordination, both with Mayor Guthrie and MP Longfield around government support programs and payments. Um, I'll never forget the day that I was trying to negotiate all four parties to pass a unanimous consent motion uh, to bring in uh, support for small businesses uh, around banning commercial evictions because so many small businesses at that time were shut down and were worried that their landlords were going to lock them out. Uh, and I'm really proud of the some of the, even in that case, behind the scenes roles I've played in, in bringing the four parties together. I think I've been seen as somebody at Queens Park who, you know, definitely can hold government accountable and can be critical when, when need be, but also can be collaborative and, and really force the parties to work together uh, and can provide, you, can provide you with some non-COVID examples of that over the course uh, of our conversation. Uh, but, 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 you know, in those early days, uh, I, you know, I remember when the government came to us with legislation around saying, you know, hey, you don't have to ask permission, you know, have a doctor's note if you're sick because we want people to be able to stay at home. Mm. And being, I successfully lobbied to expand the definition of people you would be caring for because I was recognizing that especially in um, multi-generational households that uh, the person you might be caring for might be an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or somebody and that they should be included in that. So, you know, I think a lot of what might be considered little victories, um, but in the context of COVID, I think we're very big victories uh, to support our community and to support people across Ontario. And I, I just want to say that I'm really proud of Guelph. Uh, you know, we and, you know, Dr. Mercer, I think, done a fantastic job helping lead us through the pandemic. Uh, the communities really rallied together for the most part. Uh, you know, we were the first to bring in a man mask mandate. We have the largest vaccination rate in North America. A lot of rallying and support around helping our small businesses stay in business, um, providing support for frontline healthcare workers. I remember uh, one of the retirement homes in Guelph being short PPE, and the whole community rallied, and people were just donating PPE. Uh, and and um, I, I, I remember when we had the first potential COVID case in our unhoused population. And it was like within 48 hours, we had housing solutions for, for some of the most vulnerable in our community. And, and that continues to this day. Just yesterday, just, just yesterday, we met with the Associate Minister for Mental Health and Addictions uh, and presented a, 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 a proposal around addressing mental health and addiction needs, which have really escalated during COVID. That's an all of community approach 
no one, no one putting their own agency or, or, or uh, interest first, but just saying, hey, here's a whole of community approach. And so I think Guelph really has, as a community, for the most part, um, rallied, rallied together to support each other. And I'm really proud of that. Put the spotlight back on you, though. You know, you're talking about taking meetings with government ministers. And I think it it brings to mind, and we've kind of talked about this before, but it brings to mind like kind of the one time Doug Ford went after you during question period. Like there's one time, like he's gone after Andrew Horvath repeatedly. He's obliquely talked about, and, and his ministers have talked about the wind del Duca liberals and all that. Mike Schreiner doesn't get doesn't get that sharp end so much. I wonder, do people in other parties see you as like an honest broker? Like we have this idea. We don't want to go to the government right away. Let's go to Mike first and see what Mike thinks. And it's and vice versa. That, you know, we're not going to go to Andrea Horvath because she might uh, turn it into a, a commercial or something. We'll go to Mike. We'll see what Mike thinks. And then maybe maybe Mike can do that outreach. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to betray any confidence, <laughs> but I will say that I'm often somebody who's approached to try to uh, facilitate those kinds of conversations. Uh, and and you know, I promised the people of Guelph that I would do politics differently, and that I would try to collaborate and work across party lines as much as possible. And I think I've demonstrated that. Uh, at the same time, I hold government accountable. Like I can be pretty hard on on Premier Ford, and you know, he's. He's giving me, you know, some, some harsh looks and has, you know, sent some harsh words my way at times. And that's fine. That's politics. And, you know, we would all be in one party if we didn't, uh, you know, if we, if you know, like disagreement's good and debate is good. But I think I've earned a reputation of doing that in a respectful and constructive way. And one of the things I'm really proud of is I've passed two private members bills, uh, you know, in the three and a half years I've been in the legislature. Many people serve, you know, for years and decades and multiple terms and, are, and and never pass a private member's bill. And, and, you know, both of them were passed through collaboration. So one was a substantive bill to, to protect um, uh, electric vehicle drivers that I did in cooperation and collaboration with a member of the conservative caucus. And, you know, that was at a time when, when the Ford government was, you know, ripping charging stations out of the ground, canceling renewable energy contracts, dismantling Ontario's climate change uh, policies. And, you know, I was strongly opposing all of those efforts. But when an opportunity presented itself to, you know, work with the government, uh, you know, I, I was able to work with them to pass a bill that, you know, made a small step forward for electric vehicle drivers. And just on the, you know, the last day, uh, or the second to last day of uh, this past sitting in the legislature, um, was able to pass my second private member's bill. And I was actually approached by Emancipation Month Canada and said, we would like to pass a bill recognizing August as Emancipation Month to celebrate the ending of slavery in the British Empire, August 1st, 1834, and to also use it as an opportunity to, you know, educate Ontarians about the history of slavery and also how that persists today through systemic racism and to really have a month where, 
you know, we talk about the legacy of slavery and the kinds of actions that are needed uh, to, to, you know, move beyond that legacy and dismantle systemic racism. And they approached me because they said that they wanted all four parties to sign on. And if there was one person at Queens Park who could make that happen, they'd been told it was Mike Schreiner. And we got it done. <laughs> and it's the first bill in Ontario's history that all four parties co-sponsored and passed and, and brought into law. And, and so, you know, a, a, you know, obviously, you know, a bit more symbolic than a substantive bill that changes the law around electric vehicle drivers, but, but I think a very symbolically important bill on multiple levels when it comes to addressing racism in, in our society. And the fact that all four parties signed off on it is something I'm really proud of. And, and, and so I think it was another indication that, you know, there are times when it is possible to set our differences aside and come together and do something meaningful for the people of Ontario. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of making those moments happen. So the ethos of doing politics differently, um, has that gotten easier since the start of the pandemic, or I, I guess since even just, you know, having someone like you in the legislature, or is it like an issue to issue basis? Like it, you're, you're still going to run up against ideology, no matter how open people are to collaborating. Yeah. So I would say in the early days of, of the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of collaboration, a lot of working together. I mean, it was an extraordinary number of bills were passed with unanimous consent and, and uh, that started to break down uh, during the summer of 2020. And, you know, I don't want to blame anyone for that, but I would say part of why it started to break down was, you know, the premier started doing campaign style events all across the province that summer while we were still in a pandemic. And many of us in opposition were saying like, hey, like we should be like, you know, like working together to make sure we, you know, make our schools safe and lower class sizes, uh, bring in better ventilation, you know, uh, you know, upscale and improve our testing and contact tracing capacity, start getting prepared. At that point, we didn't have vaccines yet, start getting prepared for, you know, when we do have vaccines and what it's going to take to roll them out. And, and, you know, I think the premier did a bit of a victory lap that summer and you really started to see the partisanship uh, ramp up after that. And, you know, it's only gotten worse since then, to be quite honest. Mm. And, and now that we're moving into election season, you know, you're probably going to see a heightened level of partisanship. But, you know, I will say that um, even in the midst of that, and I'll use Highway 413 as an example, you know, I've been leading the charge against Highway 413 at Queens Park. Uh, you know, I was the first MPP that was asking questions about it, um, doing news conferences about it. And, you know, subsequently, you know, the other two opposition parties are now opposed to Highway 413, which is fantastic. Uh, but, you know, sadly, the Ford government is, you know, doubled down, tripled down and said, we're going to build this highway. And, and I have in the hallway, like genuinely pulled aside members of the conservative caucus and said, you know, like, off the record, can you explain <laughs> to me, like, why you support this highway? And I won't tell you their response, because it was an off the record conversation. But I do think, um, I think, one of the things that I do that's maybe a bit different than other MPPs 
is I will reach out to NDP, liberal and conservative members, and frankly, some of the other independent members. So like the new blue party now, uh, mm-hmm. which is started by a former conservative member. And, and in some cases, you know, I, I strongly disagree with those members on issues. But I, I do take the time and make an effort to reach out and to really try to listen and understand their perspective. And, and even if I disagree with it, try to understand it. And I partly do that because I think we have a better parliament if that's what happens. But I also do it because I know there are voters in Guelph who vote conservative or NDP or liberal. And by better understanding you know, MPPs from those parties and their perspective on those issues, it helps me better understand um, the perspective of constituents here in Guelph uh, because, you know, I think it's my job to represent everybody in Guelph. And of course, I'm never going to, you know, have 100% agreement uh, with any position I take. Right. Um, but at least if I have a deeper understanding, you know, I can, you know, hopefully do a better job um, representing people and serving people. So do you still get dinged with this criticism about what sort of a party of one can do in Queen's Park? Like, is that something you still, you know, hear a, a lot of grumbling about? Well, prior to being elected and shortly after being elected, I heard that a lot. Um, I, I don't hear it as much anymore. And I think, you know, there's been kind of a, at least at Queen's Park anyway, and especially with the media, kind of a, a recognition that, you know, we I've had an outsized influence at Queen's Park being only, you know, one green MPP at Queen's Park. And, and so I hear less of that. Um, I, you know, we've been able to, you know, people said, oh, you'll never secure any funding for Guelph. Well, we've secured funding for lots of things for Guelph and Guelph General Hospital, the Grove, you know, Youth Mental Health Hub, uh, you know, different announcements for the university, et cetera, et cetera. Um, others said, oh, you know, you'll go off to Queens Park and we'll never hear you in the media. Well, I'm probably quoted in the media as much or more than any other MVP there. Uh, certainly, you know, maybe outside of, of the premier and the health minister and a few others. Um, and, and I think I've also, you know, shown, hey, I've got two bills passed. I've been able to get amendments to bills passed at committee. Um, I've been able to, you know, clear a pathway for, you know, people in Guelph to express themselves at Queens Park as well. And so I think because of a lot of those efforts and, you know, uh, you know, I, I hear less and less about, you know, what can one green MPP uh, accomplish. And so from my perspective, you know, the best way to address that concern, and it's a valid concern, is just to work really hard for the community and to be a strong voice for Guelph. And, and I think I've done that. I, I remember being at uh, a scrum at Queens Park, and I could have swore Colin DeMello almost high-fived you over a soundbite. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking ahead to the election, though, um, is there more pressure in 2022? I mean, not to say that any election victory is easy, but I mean, it was after 15 years of a liberal government, uh, the, the former MPP was retiring. Uh, it was an open seat. There was a lot of gruntlement about the government. People wanted change. It's a bit easier to vote for change when that's kind of where the wind is blowing. This, you know, could threaten to be kind of more of a status quo election, you know, kind of stay the course. They had their four years. What can what happens next is is it is, is there kind of more of a challenge for you this time? Like, is 
like the, like proving the whole mantra of doing politics differently does that kind of ride on on re-election for you yeah uh, you know it's an interesting question and and you know I, i'm this may sound like a political answer and it's not <laughs> i i'm just now starting to think about re-election i have been so focused on you know helping lead the community through covid uh, helping just fight for Guelph, helping to fight for the things I believe in. Like I've been so focused on doing everything I can to build opposition to Highway 413, for example, um, that I, I haven't thought about it that much yet. Uh, that being said, I'm definitely gearing up for re-election. And, and it'll be interesting because, you know, the premier has been to Guelph twice uh, in mm. just the last few weeks with really major announcements and has kind of said, hey, we're gunning for Guelph. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, I'm not going to take anything for granted. There is no doubt about that. Uh, and I'm going to work really hard. I have been out knocking on doors with teams of volunteers uh, pretty much every weekend, um, I don't know, since the federal election ended. Uh, but mostly I've been doing it as, as an opportunity. It's been less about, hey, you know, I'm, I vote for Mike. And more, it's really the focus has been, what are your concerns? What do you want me to be talking about at Queens Park? Uh, you know, are there anything my office can do to serve you? Uh, it's really been about listening to the community. And so I can give you some insight into what people are saying. Sure. And by all means, housing affordability, I would say, you know, is probably the you know, issue that's brought up the most unprompted at the door outside of COVID, obviously. I mean, COVID is, you know, on everyone's mind. And so talking about public health measures and how COVID has affected people, whether it's, you know, their children's learning and schools or, you know, how their small business has been affected or, or, or you know, just the fears some people have going into the workplace and the anxiety that that exists there. So, you know, but beyond that, housing affordability has been, you know, the number one issue. And so I'm really proud of the housing affordability plan the Green Party put out. And just, you know, one media outlet called it a masterclass plan. We've been getting lots of compliments on it. Um, a lot of concern about just affordability in general. So I think housing affordability would be number one on that list, but also just, you know, concerns people have around, um, you know, putting food on the table because, you know, food prices have been going up uh, quite a bit. So just some general anxiety around, you know, inflation, the economy, affordability. Um, I've, and I don't know if people say this because they know my party affiliation, but climate change comes up a lot at the door. I think people are seeing what's going on in British Columbia in particular. And, and I think Guelph is, is unique, uh, in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously Guelph voted the first green MPP in Ontario's history. So, you know, a lot of environmentally concerned voters in Guelph. But I've also talked to a ton of entrepreneurs here in Guelph or people who work for startups in green technology uh, who are really excited about bringing forward solutions to the climate crisis. Uh, And then I think there's, you know, and then I'd say the next issue that is brought up a lot is just general anxiety about the economy and the effects that COVID has had on the economy and what it means for people's jobs and their economic security, the future. And that ranges from a whole host of concerns to, you know, people on Ontario Disability Support saying, hey, we need more supports. To people saying, you know, 
I'm, I have a minimum wage job and I can't afford to live in this city. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do to help? Or, you know, I can't afford a car. How do we improve transit in Guelph so I can get to work in a reliable, affordable way to others saying, hey, I, I got laid off and, you know, I haven't been able to find employment uh, in my field. And so there's, there's, you know, a lot of different personal experiences that people you know, I've talked about it at the, um, at the door. And so for me, I think one of the things I'm thinking about as re-election looms is, you know, one, what do we have to do to get this pandemic behind us? Uh, and, you know, I think most of us are coming to the realization that COVID is going to be around for a long time. So how do we go from a pan- making it a pandemic to being endemic um, and just, just less of a direct and immediate threat? Mm. But there's a lot of, conversations around, you know, what does a post-COVID world look like? And and so I'm in the camp of, you know, let's build a better normal. And I think the best way to build a better normal is with a green and caring recovery that addresses, you know, people's affordability concerns when it comes to housing, when it comes to, you know, uh, providing affordable, accessible, uh, reliable uh, childcare, uh, investing in strengthening our our healthcare system, our education system, uh, both second post secondary and you know um, primary and secondary, uh, you know, and let's also do it in a way that um, addresses the climate crisis and really embraces and makes Ontario and Guelph a leader in a better economy that creates new careers and better job opportunities for people by addressing the climate crisis. And so I think there's anxiety about COVID, but I think there's also a lot of hopeful conversations at the doorstep that we can build a better normal. I want to look at it the other way too, because, you know, I revisited the numbers from the 2018 election and that was, your victory was decisive. It was more than the next two people, the more votes than the next two people on combined, people see that. And I think they get a taste like, like, this is it. This is the green party takeover. We've been <laughs> working towards for years. And it's not just you. It's, you know, uh, all the years leading up to that, like the, uh, the P- green party becoming official opposition, PEI victories and, or, you know, uh, joining uh, the BC NDP and sort of a formal governing agreement, uh, more seats at the federal level. Is there a chance, I guess, that, you know, all these people who believe in you, believe in the Green Party, you know, are they risking, I guess, a little disenfranchisement, you know, when they don't don't see like that green revolution take off? And I, I wonder if you're worried about them seeing it again, because you just did an event a couple of weeks ago with Mike Morris who won Kitchener Center. And again, he was kind of like you, where he, it took him a couple of elections and he did the hard work of the community building. But I mean, is there a risk of those sky high expectations that, you know, June 3rd, 2022, it's going to be premier elect Mike Schreiner <laughs> with a strong green government. And are, 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 is there a worry that maybe your supporters are kind of building themselves up for disappointment? And I guess, is that a concern going into the election? Yeah, you know, I, I think most Green supporters are pretty realistic that you're not going to go from one seat to forming government or even one seat to forming official opposition. Yeah. I just did a, a, you know, one of these like over the holiday interviews with CBC yesterday and 
the person interviewing me said, you know, one thing I really appreciate you, Mike, is you are always honest. <laughs> I've noticed the other leaders all say they're running to be premier, and I've never heard you say that. And 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 I guess you're just being honest with people. And I said, I absolutely, you know, want to hang my hat on just being really honest with voters. And so I've been very clear with our supporters that, you know, you know, success for the Green Party is, you know, reelecting Mike Schreiner, uh, electing some caucus members, maybe it's two, three, you know, would be amazing to have five um, <laughs> and, and to increase our vote across the province. Uh, because I think what we're really looking for is to enhance our influence at Queen's Park. I think a lot of people have been very impressed with how influential we've been with one seat at Queen's Park. And, you know, so I'm saying, well, imagine what we could accomplish with two, three, four seats at Queen's Park. And we've also seen that, you know, the, the um, BC Greens, you know, three green MLAs in a minority government holding what they called the balance of responsibility, you know, they were able to put forward um, a number of policy proposals, getting big money out of politics, um, the Clean BC plan, most people would agree, is the most ambitious climate plan um, uh, of any province across the country. Um, banning conversion therapy. There were a whole host of issues that the BC Greens were able to accomplish with just three green MLAs. And, and to show you, now that it's a majority NDP government in British Columbia, we've seen a backtrack on some of that, particularly on the climate stuff. I mean, they're doubling down on liquefied natural ga gas, which is a climate disaster. Um, they've opened up old growth logging at Ferry Creek. And so, you know, I think that wouldn't have happened if it was still a minority government with those three green MLAs. And so I think it shows you what even a small number of MPPs in the Ontario legislature can accomplish, especially, you know, if it would be, you know, a minority government. I mean, obviously that's something that voters will decide and, and you know, I, I always sort of trust the voters. And so, um, so we'll see what, what parliament looks like after the next election. Uh, but yeah, I wanna be clear with folks, you know, realistic expectations. Um, Mike Schreiner will not be premier. Mike Schreiner will not be the leader of the official opposition. But hopefully, you know, if the people of Guelph uh, still have confidence and trust in me, you know, Mike Schreiner can, can lead a caucus at Queen's Park that can make a real difference for Guelph and for the people of this province. Some people might, that, might call that quitter talk, but uh, <laughs> I, going back to the BC NDP and the, and the Greens uh, sort of working in concert and how that sort of They've gone back to sort of normal, if you will, since the last election. I, I, I wonder, does that not sort of disprove your whole ethos of like doing politics differently? Like if, if the Greens are in your face all the time, making you take tough decisions and take tough votes when maybe you would just settle on the status quo. I mean, yeah, you can change politics. As long as you're there, as soon as you're not a factor anymore, politics change back. And I, I guess, is that not a case that uh, doing politics differently is something that doesn't stick unless <laughs> unless it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of there in your face the whole time doing like there, there's kind of a, 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 a level to to politics where that kind of slides toward business as usual. Well, I think, I think it depends on the government and it depends on the circumstances. 
And so, you know, I think when the BC Greens were cooperating and working with the BC NDP, um, you know, we saw, uh, you know, a lot of really good collaboration happening and a lot of, I think, really solid action on the climate crisis. And, and yes, there was backtrack on that when it became a majority NDP government. Uh, but I still think, the, you know, the, the BC Greens are still in opposition, holding government accountable and speaking out on a number of these issues, particularly LNG and old growth logging, mm. to the point now where you're starting to actually see a number of grassroots NDP members starting to speak out against their government's actions and mm. pointing to what the BC Greens are saying. And so one of the things I've learned is that helping, especially when you're in opposition, uh, helping to organize citizen movements, grassroots citizens movements. So for example, you know, the effort when, you know, early in my term, when, again, I was the first one to raise questions about the premier opening the Greenbelt for development with Bill 66 and Schedule 10 of Bill 66. And we organized a whole citizens movement against that. And they pulled that schedule out of the bill. The ministerial zoning order for the Amazon warehouse on Dufferin's Creek wetland, again, organized a citizens movement uh, including a couple students here at the University of Guelph who played a really important uh, role role in that effort, uh, and you know Amazon backed out and ultimately the government retracted that ministerial zoning order. The same thing is happening with Highway 413. When I first spoke out against it, I remember one of the local mayors uh, along the highway route said to me, "Is like, my it is great you're leading the charge on Highway 413, but you're not going to stop this highway. I don't even know why you're you're wasting your time trying." And, you know, since then, now almost every local or regional council along the high raised route has come out against it. Both of the other opposition parties have come out against it. There's a whole citizens movement. I mean, you see stop Highway 413 signs all over that region of the province. I've even seen some popping up here in Guelph. It mm. doesn't even come as far as Guelph because I can tell you, actually, when I knock on the door, people here in Guelph are concerned about it. And I think it's because it's going to pave up so much farmland. And there's so many farm organizations here in Guelph who, who recognize you know, the importance of, of the food and farming economy. And so again, you know, like we haven't won that issue yet, but as even in opposition, if you look at it as a way to, you know, um, help empower people and to be a part of building, pe you know, people powered change, you can have a, a significant amount of influence in the legislature. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that influence is to protect things rather mm -hmm. than advance things, but mm -hmm. we can't advance things if we don't protect what we already have, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of a lesson that one person can make a difference if they have an army behind them. That is, oh, it's, it's not an avoid. Yeah. No, no. It, I will be absolutely clear. You know, I'm being honest with people my accomplishments in the legislature have nothing to do with Mike Schreiner right. and everything to do with one, the team I have around me and the amazing people who are willing to work really hard and are passionate about the things they're accomplishing and the groups we're partnering with who are organizing citizens. So I really see myself as, you know, helping use my office to empower people uh, to, you know, speak out and, and push for the things that are near and dear to their heart. And so, yeah, no, it can't be done with one person. It has to be done with a whole bunch of people working together.
any regrets from the last four years? Yeah, I can't think of anything that uh, off the top of my head, to be honest, Adam. Uh, sometimes I wish there were 36, 48 hours in a day uh, because there are certain days where um, I, I have to be in three or four places at once. And so I guess if there's any regrets, it's that sometimes I've had to say no to things that I really, really wanted to be a part of or participate in or be there for somebody. And because I had to be three other places at the same time, sometimes you, you have to say no to things that, you know, even you really want to be a part of. And, and I, and I know that, you know, it, it's meaningful for people when, you know, their elected mayor or MP or MPP um, participates in an event. And, and so I think my only regret is there just isn't enough hours in the day to do everything I want to do. It's a pretty lame regret, Mike, but I guess we'll take it. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's, I mean, to, to wrap up the, the podcast, uh, you know, I think you, just speaking for, my, for myself personally, you, you have had, uh, had a measurable impact and uh, we'll see what happens. So I guess with that, I'll just say, Merry Christmas to you and your family and uh, happy holidays. And uh, we will see what happens in our very busy election year coming up. Thanks for coming on today. Well, Adam, Merry Christmas to you and your family and happy holidays to all your listeners and however you celebrate uh, this time of year. And um, if you could just give me a second, um, looking at some of the COVID numbers, we may be heading into some challenging times again. And just to say to the community, you know, hey, let's all stick together and we can get through this together if, if we stick together. And so I'm hoping through the holiday season, you get a chance to spend quality time with your family and that you also think about and look out for your neighbors. Well said. And once again, that was Mike Schreiner. You can find Schreiner's constituency website at MikeSchreinerMPP.ca and you can learn more about Green Party policy and direction at GPO.ca. He is also active on social media, of course, and you can find him at Mike.Schreiner on Facebook, at Mike Schreiner on Twitter, and at Mike Schreiner GPO on Instagram. Bookmark for later, but the Ontario provincial election will happen on or before Thursday, June 2nd. 2022. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. Last one of 2022. And until then, we will see you next time.